God has called us to embark on the adventure of holiness. And while we do not always know what next we are to do as we walk with God, we are given instructions as what we cannot do. The game of negotiating righteousness against wickedness is a game that we cannot play. And this is exemplified in Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, Abraham questions God about the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham wants to know how many righteous people need to be found for God to spare the cities. And in questioning God, Abraham finds that one cannot put a numeric value on good and evil. The logic of the text carries that any amount of righteousness is more valuable than any amount of wickedness. And righteousness is a rare and precious quality and it should be respected and one should not sojourn in a state of wickedness, but one should be moving continually towards the holiness of God. Another lesson that we find from this text is that one does not have to be a great number to take the dangerous and entertaining adventure of holiness. For we are called to an adventure of holiness. And today we're starting a new series. We're going to be looking at what it means to go on the adventure of holiness. We just wrapped up looking closely at the creation accounts and everything going from Genesis 1 through 12. But now we're going to walk on the adventure of holiness and learn what it means to live in the sacramental life of the church. For God can work with anyone that is willing to fear him, commit their lives to righteousness, and abhor the dishonest gain of sin that preys on the world. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, and it is produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and with me here in the studio is... Pastor Anthony Alegria. And today, we are going to be looking at Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to have a bit of fun with this because we've got an illustration that we're going to be using. If Anthony would like to cut over to our other camera here, we've got a nice set of scales over here that we'll be tinkering with throughout the, the day, and they, they are a, a pretty good set of scales. All right, so let's get with this. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 18, and I'll be reading from the NRSV, so if you would like to follow along. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 18 and begin in verse 17. Let us read. Genesis 18:17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? No, for I have chosen him that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how very grave their sin! I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Picking up in verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. And while Abraham Main standing before the Lord, then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty within the city. Will you not then sweep away the place and forgive it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Okay, so here with us today, we do have this set of scales. And I want us to walk through this negotiation that Abraham is attempting to have. Again, he's trying to 
ascertain really a numeric value between wickedness and righteousness. Now, it's not all bad what Abraham's doing. There's really two sides to this. From one side, he is trying to find out if God will sweep away the wicked with, or the righteous along with the wicked. He's trying to see, will a few righteous people, if there are just a few of them, be spared? And that's an important side of this that we'll get to. But for now, I want us to look at this negotiation, trying to place a numeric value between the two. All right, so if we look over here, the only numbers we have thus far in the text are the 50 righteous. Now, over here on our set of scales, if we'll cut to the other camera, we have five pieces of a checkerboard over here. We've got five little checker pieces. They've been painted gold. We'll say that each one of them represents 10, 10 righteous people. Now, as you can see here, the, the five checker pieces, each representing 10, they outweigh the wickedness. And just keep an eye on that, and we'll come back to all this. But let's pick up now in Genesis 18. Genesis 18:27. Abraham answered, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And again he spoke to him. Suppose forty are found there. He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. All right, let's cut back over to our scales. As we can see here, by Abraham's logic, you take off one checker piece. You know, each one represents 10. Now we're down to 40 versus the other side. It still weighs more on the side of the righteous. So, you know, you can kind of follow the logic here. Let's continue going. Genesis 18:30. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry. If I speak... Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. All right, cutting back over to our scales. We're just working this out along with Abraham here. All right, we'll take off one more checker piece. Now we're down to 30 righteous on one side as opposed to the wickedness on the other. Uh, and we're still weighing in favor of the righteousness right here. So Abraham does seem to be onto something, but let's keep going. We'll pick up in our scripture in Genesis 18:31. He said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. All right, now we got to cut back over to our scales. All right, now we're down to 20. Let's go back to our scripture. Verse 32. Then he said, Oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just once more. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abram returned to his place. All right, so let's go to our scales again. Now we're down to ten. Now, if you just look at the weights, they kind of seem to be closely balanced out. But if you look up towards the top, you can see that it is uneven. It is still tilted in favor of the righteous. And we'll come back to our, our scales here in a little while because, as you can see, there is a problem. And actually, let's just keep the camera on it for a while. You might notice there is still a problem with the sort of experiment that we're doing here. I mean, obviously, 10 is going to be heavier than the other side if nothing is on the other side. And naturally, this presents us with a problem. The other side of the scale, it is just empty. And thus, it seems quite logically, if we are actually going to use our scales to work out this sort of thing, then anything on one side is going to be heavier than an emptiness on the opposite side. And we will come back to address this problem in a while, but for now, let's talk about Abraham's line of thinking. 
Abraham is attempting to assign a numeric value to righteousness and wickedness. He is looking to ascertain the values of righteousness and wickedness, and then perhaps one can create a formula that gives you power over these moral opposites. Perhaps if one can deduce the ratio between what is right and what is wicked, then maybe we can understand how to adjust our lives so that we can balance out wicked deeds with the necessary amount of righteousness. Again, people have done this quite a bit throughout history. They Even things like purgatory are kind of this idea that, well, you've got so much sin that you've kind of got to atone for, or maybe you weren't really at the age of accountability, you don't really understand things, Maybe you're not necessarily in purgatory, but more limbo. A lot of weird things have come out, and even a lot of ancient cultures use scales just like this to represent one's entire life. They put the wicked on one side and the, the righteous on the other, and they kind of try to figure out what weighs out. But as Abram finds out, or Abraham finds out during his investigation, there is no simple formula between the righteous and the wicked. These are not matters which can be reduced to numeric values. Furthermore, any amount of righteousness is worth sparing, and... Far be it from God to destroy righteousness. It is worth more than any amount of wickedness. Righteousness and wickedness must not be confused as two sides of a coin, sort of like we might have two sides of the checker piece here with this particular set. One is a star and the other side has the crown. Um, they shouldn't be confused as that because they don't really function the same. Even a small amount of wickedness can corrupt an entire city if people don't have their guard against it. We found this earlier in Genesis with someone like Cain. God says you've got to have your guard against that and rule over it or else it'll rule over you. But at the same time, just as sin and corruption has overwhelming power where it can spread, holiness itself, the righteousness of the people of God also spills over and affects the world around them. It is also something which can overwhelm the wicked when it is positioned up against it. The negotiation between wickedness and righteousness are an interesting thing because it's not a mode of thinking that God really wants us to do. And whenever we try to assign numeric values to this, we find that it comes up rather empty. Throughout the history of humanity, people have tried to conceptualize the final justice of life being a set of scales. Even in the church, we have tried to revise and edit orthodox theology to redefine sin and try to have some way of passing over some sin, overlooking stuff. You, you find a lot of times when people want to come in and change orthodoxy, they want to change language. It does happen throughout time, not all the time. Sometimes people want to clean things up, but there, there are certainly times in history where people want to say, well... We don't really want to say that that is sin. We don't want to say that that's unorthodox. Or maybe we've got someone who's in power. Maybe someone is the head of the church or maybe the head of a, a, a state. And the church and the state, they've kind of started to, to do something which the church was not meant to do. They say, maybe we want to overlook that. We're just going to say, well, it's balanced out by this. We, we kind of set up these poles of righteousness and wickedness and say, well, yeah, there's a certain amount of wickedness going on. But because we want to focus on the, the righteous over here, we're just going to pretend that's not there. That is not the sort of thinking that God wants Abraham to have. And it's not one that we in the church should have. But to Abraham's credit, his entire line of thinking is not all bad. There is this whole side of it where he says, are you going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked? If there is a small pocket of righteous people who are being overpowered by the evil around them, are you going to just let them pass and be devoured by the same consequences? You know, this is a, a sincere concern, and when we're actually functioning as the church, we should be concerned when we see people being preyed upon by evil, whether it be sinful desires, whether it be corrupting powers in the world, whenever we see the forces of wickedness trying to prey on people, you know, that is something which is a legitimate concern for the church, and we don't want to see 
people who are trying to be righteous to be swept away and consumed by that. We don't even want to see people who are, well, not trying to be righteous, but they're just being led astray. We don't want to see those things happen. As Abraham makes his inquiry, he finds that God also does not want to punish the righteous along with the wicked. It's not God's nature to do that. Let's return back to this negotiation that Abram, or Abraham is attempting to make, and let's take a little bit more time to visit our scales. So if we'll, we'll go back to our, our scale camera over here. Logically, we can say that it's pretty unreasonable. It's not a fair thing to have only weights for the side of righteousness and then take them off because any amount of weight on the side of the righteousness is going to weigh out an empty side on the other. You actually have to have two things to weigh against one another if you're going to use scales reasonably. But this leaves us with the problem of how are we going to assign weight to wickedness? How could we ever assign a weight to wickedness? And the simple answer is you can't, nor could you really assign weight to righteousness. Over here where we've got this one little coin left, you know, we can put that over there, but it's really not a fair way of judging righteousness. It's not something which you can put a number to, nor is wickedness something. The answer to why you can't really use scales in this question is really simple. You just can't because there's no way of knowing the value of righteousness and wickedness in terms of a numeric weight. There's no way of knowing how to assign weight to one side and not the other. Using scales to figure this out is a fool's errand. It is a game that we are not to play. And that is where we come back to our larger theme. On the adventure of holiness, and it is an adventure, it is dangerous, and it is meant to be sacramental. There are moments where we have joy and entertainment and moments when we have sorrow. But there are games we are not to play. Trying to have numeric formulas between righteousness and wickedness, that is a game we are not to play. Pastor Anthony. Uh, I just wanted to say to your point that starting from the mindset of scales, sort of like Abraham is sort of doing that as well. He is wondering whether or not the righteousness can outweigh the wicked. That's sort of the, um, that's starting from the wrong point. That's asking all the wrong questions. Um, and I think a proper understanding of righteousness and wickedness is that um, not like two different currencies, but simply that righteousness is always more valuable than wickedness. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I'm not actually opposed to using scales when weighing out decisions to make. But there are things which cannot be converted to use for a scale. It's a good tool for certain things. I love scales. Even the Kingdom of the Logos logo has a, a bit of a scale design worked into it. A set of scales deep within there and the little shield and the two dots and the lambda. But there's a time and place for scales and there's a time and place where such things are fool's errand. And this is one of those places where it is a fool's errand. Now, let's talk about where we're at with the church today and kind of review how we would apply this to our, our life here in the, the 21st century. The church is often highly focused on numbers. How many people are in your congregation? How many attend Sunday school? How much righteousness does it take to overlook wickedness? These are questions which some seem more literal and some even more abstract, but they are things that we do in our world. And in spite of our craving for a numeric formula to figure out how much value we have, again, we see people doing this with churches all the time. Well, how big is the church? How much do they have in income? How many different ministries do they have? We see all of these sorts of things happening. But even a small concentration of righteous people can do great things. The small family of Abraham and Sarah end up being the ancestors of a great nation, and even the spiritual ancestors of us today. Abraham, Sarah, and the rest of their entourage is called to the adventure of holiness, 
They are to bless the earth and grow into a nation that is bent towards God and not towards the world. One does not have to be a great number to go on the holy quest that God has called us to. And now, when I say one does not have to be a great number, there is intentional room for interpretation. Abraham and Sarah are not a great number of people. Churches do not have to have a great number of people in the congregation. They don't have to have a great number of finances. Churches do not have to have a large number to do God's work. And just as Abraham and Sarah, there was Lot, and then there's a few others that go with them. They kind of have a small entourage. They don't actually have to be a great number to go on and be the parents and ancestors of a great nation. Furthermore, when we actually start looking internally at our lives, a lot of times people say, well, I don't have a great number associated with my spiritual maturity. Therefore, I don't need to go on the adventure of holiness. You see, oftentimes in life, we want to look to ourselves and find some sort of scale where we say, is there a great number associated with where I'm at? But God doesn't really want us to do that. He doesn't mind so much whether we are 10 righteous people or just one righteous person looking to him. God wants us all to answer the call to the adventure of holiness. He wants us to all go out on this great and magnificent quest where we will grow closer to him. This call to adventure is not one that comes with micromanagement, though. Whenever God calls us, we're not always given a micromanaged step of what we do next, next, and next. It's not like we get a little detailed instruction booklet which says you do this for so many milliseconds and then you breathe and then you do something else for the next few milliseconds. God gives us a general idea of where we are going and he reveals that to us through a number of ways, but he does give us instructions on the things we are not to do. We're not to play games where we try to figure out how we can find a passable amount of wickedness. We're not supposed to play the numbers game with things. And we're not supposed to spend our time trying to, well, create formulas where we can arrange our lives and we only have to have a limited interest in God's holiness. To be holy is to be set apart for the purposes of God. It is to be distinguished from the standards of the world and no longer bent towards the inward desires of the human spirit. And while we do not always know what specific steps we are to take, we do know what steps we are not to take. And we're not to take steps that weigh out the righteous against the wicked with the intent of overlooking wickedness. The adventure of the holiness is a call to a life set apart for the purpose of God. This is not meant to be a casual stroll or a leisurely walk. And life is not naturally bent towards betterment, so it takes a lot of work to go down this path. Life itself, if we look around us, just about everything will decay when left alone. Even when God came to the void, he realized it took a lot of order. It took the word of God, the, the power which would hold creation together to come and bring order and organization. And then humanity was charged with having dominion and subduing it. Abraham and Sarah and their descendants and spiritual descendants are charged with being a blessing to the earth. It takes a lot of work to be a blessing to the earth. It takes a lot of effort and continual energy. It's not a leisurely thing because the world is not just going to go towards blessing itself. And throughout the history of the church, the faithful have often been convicted with the need to save those who are lost in our world. In spite of a lot of the, the frustration with this, people do find themselves that they don't know how to go out to do this. They, they know that they have this conviction. They know that they are called to go out and save the lost, but they don't really know what is the next step to take. And believers often find themselves up against a wall of frustration when trying to figure out what they are to do. Because the charge of the church is enormous, just as the charge of Abraham and Sarah. If you think they're an elderly couple, God comes to them and says, oh, by the way, you're going to have children and go out and bless the whole earth. All of this is a huge task. 
The Great Commission, it is a huge task to go out and make disciples of all the nations, to baptize believers in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a huge task. But what we do know is that God does not call us to things which are impossible. It's not just fun allegory, but it is real, and it has truth connected with it. And we know that these are the things that we are to do, and if we don't have micromanaged instructions, we do know what we are not to do. And God expects us to do our best on the adventure of holiness. No matter where we're at, no matter whether we have a great number associated with us or not, we are all called to go on the adventure of holiness. The proper mode of thinking taught by Genesis 18 is that any amount of righteousness is valuable to God. Even a small amount of believers is valuable to God. And very often throughout the history of God's people, we see God doing great things with just a handful of people who were faithful to him. Sometimes the people being faithful to him mess things up. They make pretty big mistakes. Abraham and Sarah make some pretty big mistakes in their life. We look at a lot of the heroes of the, the Old Testament. We see many of them making mistakes. We look to the early church. We even see people like the Apostle Peter who, well, he denies Jesus when it comes to that critical moment. But yet God still uses them. He forgives them. And they are still people who move on the adventure of holiness. It is not really the power of these people which brings about God's kingdom, but rather it is the power of God working through them. God wants us to do our best on the adventure of holiness. And God wants us to be creative in our ministries. And he wants us to contemplate what it means to be a church that is sacramental. And for those who will be with us in Sunday school, they'll know a little bit more what we mean by sacramental. But if something is a sacrament, then it is a rite, and that's R-I-T-E. It is a ritual that it bestows the blessing of God's grace on the, the world around us. It is something where the believers, they come close to God's grace. And the church, its life should be sacramental. And what that means is that we, on this adventure of holiness, we should live our life where our actions are instrumental and bless and bestowing God's grace on the world. We are blessing the world by bestowing God's grace. And God works through the righteous to usher in his kingdom, and we know this to be true. The adventure of holiness doesn't have to be carried out by a great number. This quest, all of us can go on it for as long as we are willing to, to fear him and submit to the work of his kingdom. And we as the church, we should remember to be sacramental on this. We must be instruments of God bestowing his grace. And this is something that we must do. All right, well, that's where we're going to wrap things up. If anyone has any thoughts, questions, or comments, they can feel free to send them to me. And we would love to, to hear those and respond back with you. So with that, God love you and have a blessed day.